Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of global trends, issues, and developments in fuels and vehicles. Are you looking for real insight and analysis from the industry's top experts? Are you trying to stay ahead of the curve and read the tea leaves on the future of fuels and vehicles? Then you're in the right place. My name is Tammy Klein, and with me today is Jeff Morrison of the Cadmus Group, and we're going to talk about a study that he completed recently with colleagues about hydrogen and battery electric vehicles. Jeff? Welcome to the program. It's great to be here, Tammy. Thanks a lot for uh, inviting me. Absolutely. So we'll just get right into it and talk about this study um, that you completed with colleagues called Relative Economic Competitiveness of Light-Duty Battery Electric and Fuel Cell Electric Vehicles. Can you talk about that study and what the key findings were? And, you know, of the findings and, and the analysis and, um, you know, the, the, that, that you did with colleagues, did anything surprise you all about the analysis? So I should say just a little background. This study was completed while I was a um, research fellow at the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, I, I've now moved on. But I, I guess, you know, the impetus um, of this whole study is, is um, this idea of, We've got battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles sort of competing in the marketplace. And right now, you know, there's a lot more battery electric vehicles than there are uh, fuel cell electric vehicles on the road. The Department of Energy was um, particularly interested in knowing, you know, are there specific segments of the market that are more suitable to fuel cells or more suitable to battery electric vehicles? And so this question, you know, was was one that um, a lot of folks in, in the auto industry have, have been talking about for a long time and folks at uh, Department of Energy. And there's a lot of graphs you'll see at different presentations or workshops where people will say things like, well, we think battery electric vehicles are really suit- suited to kind of the, the urban city driving, maybe lower range, and the fuel cells are going to dominate more in the, uh, the longer range vehicles, maybe more in the heavy duty space. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of generalities thrown out, you know, not, not too many people had actually sat down and sort of quantified, you know, what the costs of these vehicles are in, in different segments. So that's essentially what we tried to do with this study. We, we tried to look at, um, we looked at 77 different segments of the market, the light duty market in the United States. So there's um, 11 different size classes, every, everything from um, subcompacts all the way up to uh, sports utility vehicles, 11 different size classes, and then seven different um, ranges of vehicles. And we estimated a, a total cost of ownership for each of those segments. And so that, that total cost of ownership is basically just a, a cost per mile when you factor in all the the vehicle purchase, the the operation, the maintenance um, of the vehicle, as well as a few other factors, which I can talk about. But we tried to put these two vehicles kind of on a level playing field and say, say, um, okay, you know, for each segment of the market, how do the costs compare? And as a result, you know, how big can we say kind of the competitive market is for fuel cell electric vehicles and battery electric vehicles? So we did that both kind of using today's costs, but then we also tried to project out costs into the future um, after assuming, you know, certain types of learning are happening. 
and um, scaled economies and whatnot. So that's the essence of the study. I would say, you know, for me personally, um, I was surprised with that fuel cell electric vehicles um, really become cost competitive once we see them get above about 300 to 500,000 vehicles sold total. We're a long ways from that right now uh, in the U.S., but um, it is feasible that we'll get there at some point. So once you get above that threshold, you really see, you know, the more than 50% of the market kind of being more cost competitive for the fuel cells and the battery electric vehicles, if that makes sense. So that's sort of a tipping point where where things become very much uh, more competitive for fuel cells. I think that struck me about the study, reading it actually and, and reading about it is, you know, there's this perception out there, you know, maybe in the more in the consumer media, but I, I don't know, I, I would say even in the trade press as well, there's a perception that, you know, it's going to be battery electric vehicles. That's what's going to be the, the decarbonization solution. And fuel cells, you know, you know, aren't going to happen. They don't make sense. I mean, even Tesla's Elon Musk has, you know, talked about that they're a dumb, <laughs> dumb solution. And so there's kind of this public perception that, oh, it's over before it started. So I think the thing that really that struck me about the study is that you and, and the co-authors, your colleagues, have come forward to say, well, no, you know, they can be, you know, very complementary and there may be benefits in, you know, different, for, for each of those vehicles, there's a pathway and they may be beneficial, you know, depending on the, the factors that you looked at in the, in the study, you know, um, they may be beneficial uh, for consumers from a, from a total cost perspective in some, some segments um, rather than others. And um, that's what I found really interesting. Like, well, you know, actually, you know, it's, it's not over. Um, you know, we, we will need that as a, as a solution. And I think, you know, and it'll, it'll be closer than we think because a lot of times when people talk about hydrogen um, fuel cell vehicles, it's also, it's like, oh, well, this is 2050, 2060. And you guys are talking 2040. So the, you know, it, that's what really struck me about the study as well. Well, it's not over. There's their complementary path. Anything you want to comment on that? And can you actually talk about some of those factors that you, you sort of alluded to before? So there really was a lot that went into um, determining kind of a total cost of ownership. Um, I already mentioned the procurement cost and the um, operation maintenance cost. Those are, those are normal terms that kind of go into a total cost of ownership model. But then I guess to, to sort of level the playing field a little bit, we also tried to think about um, things like you know, infrastructure costs and just infrastructure availability. It's a lot easier right now to find up to plug into than a uh, hydrogen fueling station. And so we tried to kind of capture some of these these hard to get at costs and put them into a, a metric, a dollars per mile metric, so we could add add them into uh, the the costs with those other costs that I was talking about. I guess one of the key things that we did in this paper um, was look at this idea of, of um, inconvenience costs. And inconvenience costs, according to kind of the literature on battery electric vehicles, is this idea that if, if you have a battery electric vehicle and, you know, say it has a 100-mile range on it, but say, you know, maybe two days out of every year, you want to drive 200 or 300 miles. 
the inconvenience cost, the way it's, it's currently kind of quantified in past studies is you look at, um, okay, for those two days per year where you, where you want to exceed your, um, your range, um, you would have to rent a car. So you, you, you basically quantify that rental cost, um, and then distribute it kind of in the, the ownership costs, the per mile costs, um, throughout the year. So I guess, you know, about half the study is actually dedicated to try to trying to get at this inconvenience cost. Um, there's also an inconvenience cost for fuel cells in thinking that, you know, if you're going to buy a fuel cell, you're probably going to buy, buy one within a certain radius of a um, refueling station. Um, you're not going to just buy one if there's zero um, hydrogen available. But then you're going to have an inconvenience every time you need to refill. Um, you might be you know, headed in the opposite direction of the refueling station, maybe there's only one that's nearby. Um, so you're going to have a cost to kind of backtrack um, on your trip. So we've tried to sort of capture that inconvenience cost in here too, and then add it into the uh, the total cost of ownership. I should mention it's really kind of an uncertain process in, in doing some of these calculations. Um, you know, it, it's not a huge percentage of the total cost of ownership, um, these inconvenience costs, but it, it does factor in. And so just quantifying these, like I said, it's, um, it's pretty uncertain at this point. Yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, I know that's something that's very, very clearly stated um, in, in the study as well. Can you explain, and this is more, I think, into the, you know, the bits and nuggets and, and technicalities of the study, explain this concept of you know, mass compounding and um, as you guys uh, talk about it in the study and, and how it impacted the, the analysis of, of battery electric vehicles and, and fuel cell electric vehicles. You know, we kind of set the whole um, study up with this idea of mass compounding right at the beginning of the study. But essentially, um, you know, for battery electric vehicles, as the capacity of the battery pack increases and your, your range increases, an ever greater fraction of the, the capacity of the battery is being used to move the mass of the batteries themselves rather than the mass of the vehicle. On the flip side, um, for fuel cell electric vehicles, as you're increasing range, you're basically just adding a tiny bit more um, you know, of, a, um, of the hydrogen tank on board which doesn't really add much to the mass. You don't have the same effects where you're you're adding, you know, extra fuel on board just so you can haul more fuel like you do for battery packs. So, you know, thinking this through that that crossover point where where battery electric vehicles become less cost effective than uh, a fuel cell electric vehicle, this mass compounding really matters, you know, and the question is kind of what point do those two cross? You know, is it after about a thousand miles, battery electric vehicles finally become um, just too heavy and they're carrying too many batteries? Or is it after a hundred miles? That's um, sort of a, an initial question we pose. And to get at that, you know, you need a, you need a really good model, uh, a simulation model that sort of captures some of these feedbacks in it. So you're, you know, you're increasing the size of the battery and therefore you're, um, you know, you're increasing the range of the, the vehicle, but then you're also, um, you know, lowering the, the, the fuel efficiency of the vehicle because of uh, the large battery. So you need these, these feedbacks to, to really capture that mass compounding. 
to get more to the, you know, sort of a couple of sort of philosophical um, questions. So first one, you know, concerns policy. So based on the findings in the study and, and the analysis that you and colleagues have done, what do you believe, and this can just be your own personal perspective, but what do you, you think policymakers at the state and federal level should be considering as they, as they contemplate, you know, future transport policies and future policies around zero emission vehicles? What should they take from, from this study and what kind of policies do you think could or should be considered? Well, I should just say, you know, I, I sort of am trained in the, uh, the California way of thinking, um, which is sort of everything in the state of California is based on this, this idea of getting to 80% reduction um, in mm-hmm. greenhouse gases by 2050, um, their, their long-term uh, GHG goal. And, you know, so as a policymaker, you know, that's the way I'm thinking. And so, you know, they're always, at least in California, they're trying to come up with a good technology mix to successfully reach that target. So I guess starting with that as sort of a framework, you know, I, I think you really need that long-term target. Otherwise, you know, if you're not a, um, if you're not someone who believes in greenhouse gas reduction policies, then we might as well just stay with the, the internal combustion engine because it's, because it is cheaper right now for most mm-hmm. uh, vehicle options. Okay. So with that as a framework, you know, I think what, what policymakers can take away is that, you know, that after we get to a certain threshold, fuel cell electric vehicles will actually be, um, you know, the, the cheaper option for the majority of the, the vehicle market. Getting to that threshold, though, is, you know, I said it at the beginning, it's, you know, it's about 300 to 500,000 vehicles um, is when we saw this kind of flip towards fuel cell electric vehicles. There's a lot of, you know, policy action that's needed just to get to that point. And so I think a real question for policymakers is, will the cost of getting to that threshold, do they outweigh the, um, you know, the, the cost of taking a, a different path, which is maybe sticking just with battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles? You know, our paper really doesn't answer that question. And you very clearly yeah. say that at the, in the paper. <laughs> That's another yeah, study. I, this, this, yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, anyone who's even remotely in this, this area knows that this is a really contentious kind of debate between these kind of the believers of the, the battery electric vehicle pathway versus the, you know, the portfolio um, pathway where we're mixing fuel cells and battery electric vehicles. So, you know, you already mentioned Elon Musk, and he's clearly in this, this battery electric vehicle camp. Most definitely. And um, I mean, he has a lot of supporters in that too. And so, you know, we tried to be really careful and when we were crafting this paper to, to make sure we, we didn't overstate anything. Just out of curiosity, by the way, what has been the response since the study was released? It hasn't really been, um, been, been public for, for that long. So, yeah, have you heard from either or and both of these camps, and 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 what kind of feedback are you hearing? It's a good question. I um, so I've been to some blogs that have uh, discovered the paper, and these blogs are just a really <laughs> it's sort of a treat to read them. Um, you know, because you, you see people's um, unvarnished uh, opinions, and um, you know some 
sometimes I wonder about, um, you know, blogs where you can make comments and, you know, who's, who's actually making the comments if they are somehow connected to one of these industries. But, you mm-hmm. know, I, I would say the responses that I've seen has, have been sort of mixed. You know, a lot of times people say, well, can't access the study unless we have a subscription to, um, you know, science director, um, you know, ability to get this paper. So I don't believe any of the underlying assumptions. I would challenge you to, you know, read it. Um, you know, you can always email me if you want a copy of the paper. We use a pretty well-documented model um, to do some of the, the cost modeling in it. It's a simulation mm-hmm. model from Argonne National Lab. And so there's no kind of secret sauce there. Um, they've put really a lot of money and a lot of effort into making this simulation model um, pretty mm-hmm. good. And you're talking yeah. about autonomy is, is what it's, it's called, correct? The, the autonomy yep. model. The autonomy. Okay. You know, it, it is interesting. Um, I have seen that and I mean, it sounds a little bit like it, like there was some trolling that going on, but yes, actually, I mean, the people are, are, you know, feel so passionate about it. it it's not like it's really that expensive. I was able to up, obtain it <laughs> uh, quite easily. Oh, you were? Subscription. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You just pay your, uh-huh. you know, I think it was, you know, you know, 20 or 30 bucks and off we went. So it's no big deal. Okay. It's okay. it's sort of if you if you really if you really care about the if you really care and I've seen this in other settings too where other academics and other you know and other studies have gotten you know have gotten trolled by people who you know it's like we cared enough to troll you but we don't really care enough to dig further <laughs> than that and we mm-hmm. certainly aren't going to fork any bucks out to uh, you know to actually read within the study. But I think that's a, probably a sign of the world that we, we live in. You know, a lot of stuff that I post on my blog is actually publicly available, but people still fail to sort of look beyond, you know, like the Twitter headline and actually, you know, dig deep. But I, I think that's a, a sign of our time. So one last question I, I want to ask you. Oh, and I actually, I just want to go back and say, I mean, I think it's really interesting, this, this point you're making about the, about the two different camps. And um, it really, there re- really does seem to be a little bit of, um, I observe as a uh, research analyst, you know, in the industry, there is some polarization that is going on. And, you know, people really, you know, the portfolio approach is, you know, really, you know, not in favor, um, you know, in, in some quarters. I mean, and actually, you know, you could add to it, actually, the internal combustion engine. That's not the subject of, of this interview. But there are a lot of interesting things that are going on uh, with the internal combustion engine. And my view is, like, well, why don't we, you know, keep our options, um, you know, open, so to speak, because the technology is really, really progressing. And, you know, there, there are, you know, at least as it concerns battery electric vehicles and fuel cell vehicles, there can be complementarity, you know, but people, some people really are locked into the, um, you know, to the, to the battery solution. So that's, that's my observation. They don't want to, they don't want to hear nothing about no internal combustion engine or no fuel. Right. But we, we might really need to consider those to even have a chance of getting to that 80% target, which by the way, you know, there are similar targets in a lot of other countries because a lot of countries are very, very serious about, you know, the, the Paris Agreement and implementing, you know, targets for the Paris Agreement of which transport is necessarily going to have to be a, a big part of it. So, you know, I don't see how we can get there, um, you know, from my point of view, we're not going to be able to get there on, 
you know, on just one solution, especially considering the different transport modes. And that's actually the nice thing about the, the fuel cell application is, and you, and you guys kind of talk about this in the study with the different, you know, when you start looking at the different segments, you know, where it makes sense, you know, and it's really cost effective from a total cost of ownership perspective for the battery electric vehicle. And then when you get into, you know, where it makes sense for the fuel cell vehicle, I mean, that sort of demonstrates maybe that I think the need for the, you know, sort of the portfolio approach. One thing just to add there, I, I meant to say this earlier, but the um, one of the big omissions from our study is we did not look at plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. We only looked at pure battery electric vehicles, so only mm-hmm. a battery. And so I, I guess, you know, why I think that matters, you know, and is an important thing to consider when you're kind of just looking at our study is that um, a lot of people would say that um, the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle is actually the biggest competitor with fuel cell electric vehicles because they give you this kind of infinite range um, using today's infrastructure. And so I, I think, you know, getting back to that that idea of 80% by 2050, kind of a critical question is, um, you know, if you're really in that electric vehicle camp and you don't you don't really believe in the use of fuel cells i think the key question is can we do it with a mix of battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid electric vehicles so you know can we electrify enough miles where we're you know we're just using a tiny bit of gasoline for those longer range trips um Mm -hmm. and there's some research out there that tries to answer this question and you know there's a big project that's been ongoing with uh, Idaho National Labs when where they've been looking at, at some of this. But I, I don't think that we've really come to a conclusion. I, I think, I guess, just to circle back, the, that idea of plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and their place really matters. And so I, I guess if I was going to do a follow-on study to this one, I would be considering plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and, and their place in that, that uh, 80% reduction. So the last question that I have concerns um, concerns consumers. So, you know, UC Davis, others, you know, have been, you know, sort of studying, um, you know, consumer behavior and response when it comes to zero emission vehicles. And, you know, and, and other organizations have been looking at this issue, too. So what they're finding is, is that, you know, consumers really aren't aware um, that these vehicles are out there, you know, what the benefits are, you know, they're not looking at issues such as, you know, the the total cost of ownership. Um, You know, there really needs to be a a lot more education out there of consumers. I mean, even in a market like California, which is very, you know, environmentally, you know, there's a lot of environmental consciousness in California that might not exist, um, you know, in other parts of of the country. So, how does that play into, um, you know, into this study? I mean, do you think that, you know, we're going to see the same thing that we're seeing right now with, with battery electric and, and other types of, of zero emission vehicles that are on the road now? Do you think we're going to see that um, as well with fuel cell electric vehicles? Do you believe that over time, you know, consumers will start to kind of clue in to, you know, the total cost of ownership benefits um, for these vehicles? You know, how, how do you see it from, um, you know, your, your perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, and I should say that the study um, doesn't really delve into any of those. So I need to be a little cautious. So everything right. I say here is kind of my, my own opinion. But one of the big benefits of fuel cell electric vehicles is 
obviously that when you go to fuel it, the, the dispenser, it's a little different than your, your gasoline dispenser, but really it's, you know, the, the experience is pretty similar. You know, you, you go to the, the refueling station and it takes about five minutes and then you, you drive away. And so that, I guess that right there is, is kind of a big difference where there, there, there's not a need for a huge adjustment in terms of, you know, how you're refueling and how you're actually operating the vehicle like there is for, for battery electric vehicles. So that, you know, that's an obvious advantage. In terms of total cost of ownership, though, you know, I don't know if uh, we as consumers will ever really, um, you know, fully acknowledge the, the cost of ownership. There's a lot of tools I can, I can point you um, online, you know, at Department of Energy and EPA have tools online to help you kind of um, calculate your, your total cost of ownership for your vehicle. But I don't see that really changing um, for fuel cell electric vehicles, unfortunately. And I'm not sure if that's going to be a barrier, um, you know, in the exact same way as, as battery electric vehicles. But I guess I don't really have any speculation of how there would be differences when going forward. Well, it could be one of those things where, because this really is a, is, is an alternative vehicle that is really, you know, it's not like, you know, flex fuel vehicles or, you know, natural gas vehicles. I mean, those alternative vehicles have been out in, in the domain for, for a long time, but I think this is different. And the scale up, I think, could be much larger for, for both of these types of vehicles. So it might be one of those things where, we learned some lessons as, um, you, know, you know, more plug-in and battery electric vehicles are introduced such that it may not be an issue when, as, as we see more and more fuel cells. So it's almost like we can leapfrog or, or learn from the experiences introducing those vehicles. I think that's probably more likely um, than, um, than not. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess just looking at the kind of demographics of who's adopting the first set of fuel cell electric vehicles. It's very similar to the the early adopters of the, the battery electric vehicles, kind of, you know, sort of tech savvy, more kind of, you know, middle aged young males generally are the are the ones who are the early adopters. So to the extent that they learned, you know, that demographic learned when they adopted the battery electric vehicles, you know, hopefully they can apply that when fuel cell electric vehicles really take off. If yeah. they take off. All right, we'll end it there. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Jeff so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you, and I'd love to have you back as there's more research um, and work being done in this area. Please do us a favor today before you go. Head over to iTunes and rate this podcast. This is huge for us in terms of improving our ranking and keeping the show visible so that other people can discover it and hopefully also benefit from it. Thanks ahead of time for helping us out. And if you're looking for more insight and analysis on future fuels and vehicles issues, such as zero emission vehicles, battery electric vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, and advanced internal combustion engine vehicle technologies and their fuels, sign up for my free bi-weekly newsletter at futurefuelstrategies.com. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.